All right, well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys here. My name is Andy Adet. I'm a uh, seminary student on staff here at St. John, and I am so excited uh, to be able to uh, close out this series. I don't know about you guys, uh, but this series has really been impacting me, and if this is your first time here today, or, or if you've been checked out for a while and are just coming back, I really, really, really want to encourage you to hop on our website and watch week one and week two of this series, The Ripple Effect, talking about sacrifice. And I know it's easy for me to say because I'm the guy up front, but I didn't even preach those two. And they've just been really good messages. I've heard people out in the lobby talking about how it's been changing them. And so I would hope uh, that it would do the same and has been doing the same in you as well. And today's scripture is no different, uh, so please join me in prayer. Our Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in here today, moving in each of us as we dig into a difficult text. I pray that you would help us to hear only the words that come from you, nothing more and nothing less. Help us to respond to your goodness and your grace and your challenges in the way that you would have us respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I said, uh, I'm a seminarian, which means I go to seminary, which uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is a grad master's level program where what I do day in and day out is study God, dig into the Bible, learn church history, and you're all jealous. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, maybe not. Maybe you are. I don't know. But uh, what I've learned about seminary is it's one of the only cool places where you can nerd out on theology and not get made fun of. Uh, Nobody else has enjoyed me walking up to them with my Greek Bible and saying, hey, did you know what this word actually means? It just doesn't go very far. The only similar thing I've found uh, is at uh, a comic book shop, or maybe you've seen this on TV where people kind of gather around comics and they talk about Batman and Superman and all of his superpowers, and it's cool for them to nerd out there. The only difference is our Batman is Martin Luther, and our Superman is Jesus who does miracles for his superpowers. And so at seminary, uh, at this time of year, uh, we love to celebrate the Reformation, like Dion was talking about earlier. Uh, 500 years ago, this guy named Martin Luther uh, was upset with where the church was. And so he decided there needed to be some changes. We needed to go back to the basics. And some of those basics were that faith, that Christianity is about grace alone. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we say. It's not our works that get us into God's good favor, but it's just simply a loving and merciful God who gives us his grace solely because of who he is. And that that grace comes to us through faith alone. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. He just gives it. And that we find out about him through scripture alone. And these teachings become the way we learn to look at the Bible. The way that we look at church. The way that we look at faith. Everything. Uh, This is what our core guys and gals are learning each and every week. We just dig into these things and it becomes part of who we are. And this isn't a bad thing. But there are some dangers to it. And the dangers specifically come when we read texts in Scripture that seem to go against these teachings. And how amazing is it that today on Reformation weekend, the weekend that we're celebrating grace alone, faith alone, Scripture alone, we get one of these texts that's going to challenge everything we've grown up uh, to believe. And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to take them out right now. If you have a a cell phone that you uh, dig into Scripture there, Matthew 19 starting at verse 16, and Jesus is going to have an interaction here with a rich young man 
that's going to challenge, if you've been in church for a while, a lot of what you believe. Starting at verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And th- so those of you who have been in the church for a while, you're ready to answer this. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. It's just solely Jesus alone. Right? Well, let's see how he responds. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. He's talking about God. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I don't know if you're like me, but that's not the answer I was expecting. Uh, If you want to enter eternal life, if you want heaven, you better keep the commandments. Does that make you a little bit tense? Does that make you a little uncomfortable? Uh, When I first read this, my stomach nodded up a little bit. The man responds, Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at his response. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And if you're like me, you're wondering uh, how this man could be so arrogant because not just a, a, a few chapters ago in scripture, Jesus clarifies the commandments and he says what they actually mean. Uh, He says on the Sermon on the Mount that uh, do not murder actually means you can't even have an angry thought against someone or you're breaking this. Do not commit adultery means you can't even have one little lustful thought against someone else or you're breaking this. There's no jealousy allowed. You can't even tell the littlest, tiniest white lie or you're breaking this. And yet this man has the arrogance to come to Jesus and say, I have kept all this. And so we would probably expect Jesus uh, to get a little upset with him, maybe rebuke him, uh, set him straight, right? Well, let's see how he responds. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And man, do you feel the tension here when you're reading this? This isn't what I grew up to believe. Right here, Jesus is taking everything we've ever heard, everything we've ever been taught, and he's turning it completely upside down. He's saying, if you want heaven, you better keep the commandments. If you want perfection, you've got to let go of everything you hold dear. and Give it away. And follow me. I mean, he's saying uh, to the rich... It's almost impossible for you to enter eternal life. I mean, it's easy for me to see why this man walks away sad. I'm sad while reading this. Because I know if it's not okay for these guys, if they don't even have it, what hope is there for me? And even the people who are closest to Jesus struggle with this. Even the disciples 
who, who are walking along with Jesus. They've sold everything. They've given away everything. They've left their houses and homes to follow him. And they're a little bit anxious upon hearing this. Hear uh, what the disciples have to say after listening Jesus say these things. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, you think. And they asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And, And this part is huge. This is huge for us to get right now. Because when you look at scripture, and you look at the standards that God is giving forth, on what we need to do to to meet his standards, to inherit eternal life, to be perfect, you begin to see, you know what, God's right, this is impossible. I can't do it. I'm not capable. And the rich man, his problem, it wasn't his wealth. Because if it wasn't wealth, it would have been something else. It was the wealth, wealth, it was what was holding on to his heart. And that was wealth. If it wasn't wealth, it would have been a relationship. It would have been an addiction, some self-image thing. Like we could go on and on talking about the things that have their hold on our heart and our life that keep us from the life God wants for us. But what God's saying here is that we need help. This is impossible. We can't do it on our own. And this is where those Reformation teachings come in so huge. Because God sends help. God sends Jesus. And Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, he frees us from all the things that hold us back. From all the things that have their hold on us. That would keep us from God and keep us from the life that he has. We don't have to worry about what I need to do, what do I need to accomplish to get into heaven, because Jesus accomplished it. Jesus sealed us in that. And that's where a lot of us want to just stop. Because then we can be comfortable. We can enjoy the good life, knowing that our eternity is taken care of, and we get to enjoy life for what it is and what we've been given. And that's great. But... That's not the end of the story. We wish it was because we could be comfortable, but Jesus continues here. And Peter comes up to Jesus and he has some real questions because he's been living a life that's a little bit different. And Peter uh, answered Jesus' comments and he says, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternity. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And we can hear these words, and we can respond in one of two ways. First, we can go back into that same circle that we were in before and start to wonder, well, what do I need to do to get eternity? What is it dependent on? And we can go around and around and then look to Jesus and trust that it's taken care of, but then wonder again and worry and then look to Jesus, and that's fine. But I think that there's more to this. 
especially in this scripture, I think there's more to what Jesus is trying to tell us. And that it is, it is true that Jesus has taken care of our eternity. We're sealed in him. And what we do in this life matters. What we do makes a difference. And do you see how this would change things? You see how this would change the concept of sacrifice? You see, no longer is it this painful, agonizing thing that we just have to do. It's not just this obedience thing that we just have to give ourselves up. You see, sacrifice is actually a gift from God. It's something that he's given us. It's a peace, it's a blessing, and it's a joy to know that my life matters. What I do here makes a difference. That I'm not just trying to get a ticket into heaven punched. No, Jesus has taken care of that. This isn't just a journey on the way to the real home. This isn't just a test that God's putting me through to see if I pass. My life makes a difference. God has me here for a reason. And that, to me at least, is so freeing. It's so powerful. And there's some people who get this. There's some people who have busted this myth of sacrifice, and they see the joy that you get even now. And then they trust that God has something bigger for us in eternity. It's like we said, like we read, the people who are leaving houses and homes and all of these things, they're going to receive a hundred times as much. There is treasure. There's rewards. And you see people like the disciples, the martyrs who are giving their lives, you know, the Mother Teresas of this world, they get this. But most of us probably need a little bit of help. And this is hard uh, because scripture isn't super detailed about, you know, cost-benefit analyses and uh, uh, detailed lists of levels and risks and rewards and all that kind of stuff when it comes to the treasure in heaven. But there are hints. There are hints uh, scattered throughout scripture of what Jesus has for us and proof that the life that we're living right now matters. And the first of these hints is accolades. You know, there's this parable in scripture that Jesus tells uh, where the master gives good gifts and riches uh, to his servants and sends them out uh, to further his kingdom. And when they return, the ones who have put his gifts to work and have come back with something to show for it, uh, the master sees them and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I just think for myself, what greater reward, what greater treasure would there be than to step into eternity, to finally meet God face to face and have him look at me and say, well done. I'm proud of you. You took my gifts. You took what I give, gave you. You, t- you took your life and, and you put it to work. You didn't just sit on it. But it mattered to you because it mattered to me. Well done. The accolades would be enough. But there's more. There's status. And this one, this one for me, uh, there's a tension here. Because, you know, Jesus died for us all, right? Uh, what he did on the cross was to forgive all of our sins equally. So shouldn't we be equals in heaven? And I think yes, uh, to some extent. But there are others. Uh, even like our text today. What Jesus says to the disciples. You will be sitting on 12 thrones next to me on the glorious throne. 
And you know, if, if you're sitting here and you would consider yourself not in faith, you don't believe, uh, if you're the kind of person who maybe is just checking off boxes even, you claim faith or you're just kind of riding through life, uh, let me assure you, uh, whether you make your deathbed confession or you sneak in at the 11th hour or you really do live a life of faith, eternity is going to be amazing for you. Uh, people are going to welcome you in. And God is going to be so glad that you're here. And at the same time, there's going to be guys like Peter. Guys who have sacrificed everything, given their life away. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. And people are going to see him in heaven. They're going to be like, guys, this is Peter. You know, we're all here because of him in some way. He helped build the church. And I think that this is okay in an eternity where there's no sin, there's no envy, there's no jealousy, because all of what Peter has done just gives glory to God all the more. And deathbed confession guy gives all the glory to a loving and gracious God who takes people as they are. And so there's accolades, there's status, and my favorite is people. This is the best gift of all, in my opinion, that what we do here and now matters so much uh, that there could be people in heaven who are there because God used you and me. And I just think, what better reward would there be than for someone to run up to you and say, guys, guys, you got to meet him. I'm here because of him, because of his time, his energy, his gifts, what he did. He sacrificed himself. He went through the awkward spiritual conversation. Uh, to teach me about God, even though he didn't feel like he knew the Bible well enough or, or what he was saying would work, but he did it, and God used him to change my life. Or, guys, guys, you got to meet her. Come, come see her. She didn't even know me. But in the worst moments of my life, I, I watched her and how she lived, how she gave, how she sacrificed, and her life was so different. That I just couldn't help but think of her when times were tough. And God used her life to change me, to speak into me. And I'm here because of her. She didn't even know it. Could you imagine stepping into heaven and having that? Is there any other proof that our life matters more to God here and now, but also into eternity, than stories like that? I don't know where you are today. I don't know how you heard uh, this scripture. Maybe you consider yourself to be like the rich young man who holds on tightly to his stuff, to his life, because you don't know what there is for you in eternity. Maybe you're like the disciples who you give and give and give, and you're not sure, does it even matter? Is this even making a difference? Does God even care? Most of us are probably somewhere in between. And this is a tough place to be because then we're always comparing ourselves to people who are wealthier, people who, who have more, and so they should be more sacrificial. And I could stand up and we could talk about all the ways that we could. We could give more. We could spend more time. We could love more. We could serve more. We could sacrifice our need to be right all the time, our need to have the most stuff to look the best. Maybe that would hit some of us a little bit. Or, I think we can go back to this scripture 
And we can give just two principles that Jesus gives in this interaction with a rich young man that changes the way we see life and changes the way that we see sacrifice. And the first is look around. Jesus comes to this man and he says, look at yourself. Look at what you have. Look at what you've been given. I've given you so much. And look around. Look at the people around you. Look at the needs. Look at how you've been uniquely positioned where you are to make a difference. Look around. And then the second one is look ahead. Look ahead, look beyond uh, the trivial troubles and hassles and things that hold us back in life, that keep us focusing on, on the current moment, and see beyond that. And see how our actions ripple out, not only in the here and now, but how eternity can be different because of what you do now. How you live now. And I just think, imagine... Imagine if us here today started looking around and looking ahead. I think so many things could be different. I think not only would our church be different if we were those type of people, but our community would be different. We could start to answer the question, how is Baldwin different because St. John is here? How is Ellisville different because of St. John? Chesterfield, Wildwood, St. Louis, how is it different because we have people who look around and look ahead? I think we could make such a difference. And I'm sure that what we're doing right here, right now, today, in the grand scheme of eternity is just, you know, a tiny drop in the ocean. But if we were those type of people, I think that that drop would create a ripple effect that wouldn't just change our church. It would change our community. It would change our city. It would change the world. And that would change eternity. Because of what we do here and now and because it matters let's pray God I thank you first and foremost for the gift of your son for the gift of Jesus and how that assures us that our eternity is sealed in you we don't have to worry about our actions and our works and whether that's going to get us in But God, I thank you at the same time for that gift and that challenge uh, that sacrifice helps teach us that not only is it all about you, but that our life now matters. And God, I just think of where our church has been and where we are now, and I think that we're on the edge of something big. I think you're bringing us towards something big. And I pray that your spirit would be in each of us right now, challenging us to look around at what you've given us and to look ahead to see how we can put that to work here and now and how it'll change even eternity. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the trust in you to look different. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.